Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing, Episode 314, Nini Alto. And now, constructed on a Zeppelin by an apprentice mage and delivered by a rocket ship to a benevolent dragon, Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing. Welcome to Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing, your podcast for science fiction and fantasy media. This is Brent Bowen. And Christy Cherish. And the two of us are back together again a couple weeks away from one another. Me at the Hugos, Christy at PAX, or Penny Arcade in Seattle. She was sending me all these awesome pictures, so we're going to get into that. We're going to talk about it. But first, we're going to talk about the Hugo Awards both past, recent past, and upcoming future. But before we get completely into the Hugo Awards, we do have a guest this week. It's not just going to be me and Christy. Today we are joined by Hugo-nominated artist, Nini Alto. And this is our final interview from Archipelagon, the Nordic science fiction and fantasy convention, where Greg Palachi caught up with a number of uh, speculative fiction guests, authors, Nini being an artist, and chatted with them all things genre. So a shorter interview, about 15 minutes, which it's okay. Kristen and I are going to fill up probably a good 30 to 45 minutes of our time talking about the Hugo Awards, aren't we? We will, but, but, you know, for all those people who just want to go to the interview, you can totally just skip ahead to the interview. We, 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 we don't mind. We, we won't hold it against you. I know. It, it took me a couple of weeks of recovery. Like, I have not been talking about the Hugo Awards with anybody. Uh, so we understand. If you need a couple weeks still, you need, if you need forever, we'll, we'll mark it in the show notes. <laughs> where the interview is, and you can skip all of this. Matter of fact, I might even double that those marks up where you can hear Christy talk about PAX. So we'll skip the, I'll give you a Hugo marker, and then a PAX marker, and then an interview marker. How does that, how does that sound, Christy? That sounds awesome. <laughs> well, before we get into to PAX and our, our Greg's conversation with uh, Nini, we did want to talk about Sasquatch, and I gave a very vague and kind of brief, oh, quick overview of my impressions of everything that transpired. And it was really more of the, the madness it took for me just to get there, to be there at the awards. And I felt like because we were nominated, I, I had a significant obligation to, to be present and account for whatever outcome that was going to happen. Good, bad, or otherwise, I needed to be to be there because we'd made a choice to be involved, and so I needed to be there to accept whatever the the outcome was. So uh, I was there and, and accounted for during before the right before the awards. I basically got there a couple hours before the awards ceremony, and uh, I can talk a little bit about kind of the the reception before the ceremony and the the after party. And if folks haven't gone out and read. George R. R. Martin's uh, blog post immediately following the ceremony. I think it was a couple days after the ceremony. I will tell you that largely 
a lot of my feelings about what transpired, particularly during the ceremony itself, kind of fit within or very similar to what he articulated, which, you know, he, he does a nice job of kind of breaking down the ceremony, talking about uh, David Gerald and how he handled some of the, the MC responsibilities, tried to keep his politics out of that. I'm going to touch on that specifically in a moment. Uh, a little bit more, George expressed some of his thoughts around people applauding for no award. And I, I kind of echo some of, some of those sentiments as well. But I, I'll tell you, before we even get into the award ceremony, one of the things I think it's worth mentioning without... I think it's a real honor and a privilege to be able to participate in a lot of the events tied tied to the Hugo Awards. And I think that's why... Depending on what side of the discussion you're falling on, it's it people view it as a privilege to participate in these activities, and and I very mel very much felt the same way that it was a real privilege, and why I felt this obligation to to be present. Uh, the the pre reception before the awards I thought was very very civil. The the engagement. So Tim and I, Tim Ward and I both uh, attended, and people were. I will say there was a faction that was kind of off in one corner, was kind of my impression of the the situation. But largely, Tim and I didn't necessarily feel that need to to behave in that matter. And we mingled with several different people, uh, made introductions. And I felt like for those that were either, you know, on a slate, not on a slate, anybody that we encountered and kind of engaged with, and we engaged with all all, all part, not all parties, but a mix of parties. It's possible to catch everybody. People were civil, courteous, and, and or downright friendly, and and just you know uh, viewed it as a uh, the evening as a celebration, uh, which I think is that's what it's supposed to be is kind of a celebration of uh, of of genre. Now I feel a little bit after the reception. I will tell you. During the award ceremony itself, I felt like uh, a little bit of that changed despite, you know, the MC's desire to try and keep that at, you know, in a tone of celebration. So I think David Gerald worked really hard to keep that tone of celebration going on throughout the ceremony. At one point in time during the ceremony, you know, after Wesley Chu won the Campbell Award, and George used that as kind of an indicator, predict George R. Martin on his blog, or not blog, used that as an indicator or predictor of how the evening would go. There were applause during the, the reading of the nominations. And David stopped everybody and asked everybody very directly, if you could please wait until all the nominees are read before giving your applause. And the crowd largely... Uh, followed those instructions, and I felt like that was a very that was an olive branch that he he didn't get have a full. Now he probably knew who some of the recipients were going to be, but I felt like that was an olive branch to the nominees of no matter how it was going to turn out, he was respecting his his colleagues uh, that were there that evening and really trying to keep that tone of celebration. There is one thing during the ceremony though that I differ. Uh, from George on, and, and George goes on in his blog, and he, he talks about how he did not applaud when people 
um, or the category was given a no award. He felt like that was a sad moment. That was a moment not worth celebrating. And I agree with him. And I feel like in several categories, the voters, and again, it was the largest voting pool the Hugos had seen, nearly 6,000 people had legitimate ballots uh, for for the ceremony and for the awards. And I felt like people applauding the no award was akin to booing. Yeah, I, I agree. And this, and and that kind, I watched it, of course. And and we'll we'll get into a bit into why why I wasn't why I didn't uh, didn't end up joining you at the awards because my original plan was because it's going to be fun. But um, but I watched it, and that and it was interesting because I know I know David ended up telling people that you know it was not okay for them to boo, but. On the other hand, yeah, when, when you're applauding no award, that's kind of the same. It 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 yeah. does feel like like booing. So I and you yeah, can't see I, me. Po- you can't see me pointing at my microphone. <laughs> yeah, we need we yeah. need we need to video these because I'm pointing at my microphone, going, "You're right on the money." To me, it was akin to boo. Yeah, yeah. And, and so the only point in the ceremony where I had an issue. A real issue. Well, a couple issues. I felt like the voters threw out some of the baby with the back. So you had legitimate long form editors. Oh God. And that I think that I think was the biggest I'm gonna let you go on, but that was the biggest that I thought was the saddest result of the Hugos this year. Yeah. It, it the the voters threw the baby out with the bath bathwater and made it they were they were gonna go to every length to make a statement, the the voters that participated. And look you know, we fell with a note. We were subject to that's those same decisions. And it's every person's right to vote the way they wanted to vote. I just thought, and again, similar to George's thinking that you had Hugo worthy. They, those individuals, those works fell victim to something greater that a lot of us are still having a hard time <laughs> explaining what the heck's going on when we're, you could argue that some of what's going on is really just to get as, as much in the way of fandom, which to me was the great byproduct of this, no matter how you look at it, the great byproduct of this. And David Gerald even pointed to this and, and you, you've heard mention of the asterisks the wooden ones that are in it's in my library upstairs, actually. Um, <laughs> You're going to have to put a picture up on the website. I am going to have to put a picture up on the website. Well, he, he did this whole thing in the pre-ceremony about these exclamation points and these exclamation points being, you know, these great moments. So we had the largest voter turnout. So you see this byproduct of having the larger voter turnout, which is, which is fabulous. But then at the same time, you know, you had, as a result of that, too, you saw, because a statement was being made, worthy individuals and worthy works that were voted no award as part of that statement. And yeah. to me, that's not, that's an exclamation point of sadness. And the only real issue I had during the evening was, well, I had a couple, but the big one was, there was at one point, there was booing because of the no award situation. Mm-hmm. And you can't have it both ways. And this was the only criticism I really had of David Gerald, which as an MC, and was that he, and this is where I disagree with George, if you're going to allow the applause of the no award, you equally need to allow the booing 
And I know it's trying to be an evening of celebration, but it's a one-sided celebration. Yeah. If you're not allowing the booing. And again, this is me being somebody that's just, I knew sitting down. Now, I know there were others that had hoped that we were going to be a recipient that evening. But I knew sitting down, uh, I said, I'm not going to have to make a speech tonight. And (laughs) (laughs) I, I, I knew going into it, but that still was a sad moment to me to see not not allowing everybody to kind of express their their opinion. And also the other the other sad part of this too was I think people took this really personally. There are some things that you'll read online of different people storming out. I witnessed some of it. Uh, I witnessed some expletives being shared that this is BS uh, to certain individuals. So the, the other part of this was as much as it was supposed to be a celebration, there were moments in there that were clearly divisive. Mm-hmm. And you saw that continue on into some of the post party, not for, you know, not for us personally. And my hope is, is, you know, we can figure out a way forward and I'll, I'll let you jump in. I'll talk a little bit about the after party. Maybe I'll, I'll let you talk about your thoughts with the ceremony, but my, as we get into Mer- Mid-Americon 2 and, you know, Sad Puppies 4 is right on the heels of this, is to figure out a way to not make this as... Div- if there are points that need to be made about inclusion, how do we not make this divisive? Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think... So I, I think it's sort of public public knowledge that um, that a bunch yeah a bunch of the folks from from Bain Books walked out of the ceremonies and I just thought that was so sad when I I, I that wasn't covered in the ceremonies that I was watching but it was it, it became apparent on Twitter and um, and Facebook really quickly I thought you know I, I have no idea why that happened or or such um, you you probably you know maybe you've seen that but. I remember sitting there going, is that ever sad? The fact that the Bain Books group feel, for whatever reason, didn't feel like they could stay for the awards, uh, considering the kind of cornerstone they are for sci-fi and fantasy over the years. That, to me, I I don't know. I, I kind of feel like the community maybe needs to take, like a, a lot in the community right now are, are celebrating because it's like they feel like they took back their their awards. And I, I understand, like, I mean, I, I understand and I sympathize with that. And, and our, our position has really just been journalism. That's, that's our interest here. That's our only interest here, really. And sci-fi, but, and fantasy, but, um, but. <laughs> and and yet yeah, to your point is, again, our definition of journalism being not telling everybody what to think, but what to think about. That's been yeah. kind of our mantra is, you know, as we're as we're having this discussion, what should we be thinking about, particularly as we're trying to move forward together as exactly. a community? Yeah. yeah. And, you know, when I, I, I saw a lot of people, um, and it, it sort of died down a bit because I think there was a lot of emotion around the Hugo Awards from the community, especially the community that's been there for, for a long time. And I, you know, I kind of feel like they, it's maybe the time to sit back and, and kind of think, well, wait a minute. Yeah, we maybe took back the awards, but we, we also kind of stepped on, slapped in the face, um, excluded these group, you know, a, a, a number of editors because Ann Seward's wasn't there. Uh, and if people don't know, and, and uh, I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that right, but I'm probably not. Sours. But Sours, thank you. Um, so I actually Anne's- said hello to Ann's been a guest on the show. I actually interviewed Ann at. 
ArmadilloCon, I believe it was 2010, and I actually went up and said hello to her at the pre-reception and it, very briefly on the way out said hello mm-hmm. and she she recognized me and thanked us for being on the show and and wished us well so anyway yeah she's she's the editor for um uh the dresden files yes yeah. penguin dresden. rock yep yeah dresden files so she's a brilliant and a number she's actually i think she's been the editor for some of the biggest um urban fantasy you know um uh, series out there you know, she, she's one of those sort of cornerstones and you've got Bane books, you've got, um, there, there were a couple of, uh, Sheila Gilbert. Um, and it's like, did, you know, those editors really don't have, like, I, I, I kind of feel like those groups really didn't have a stake in, in either side whatsoever. They're, they're, they're doing their job. They're, they're helping to produce a very large proportion of the sci-fi and fantasy that, you know, our, our listeners are probably reading. I just don't think they deserve that to get to get pulled into that by the community. And I, I you know, I, I wonder if the community maybe needs to. I, I don't know. As as somebody in the community, it's it's an interesting thing to reflect on. It's like what has the outcome really been, and and what was really won and by who. You know, it's so so. Yeah, I there there was one part of the awards that really disappointed me. And this, this was the one I, I think I mentioned this to you and I, I know I talked about it on my interview with the, with, with the province, um, uh, the book rogues up here in Canada. Uh, cause they wanted to ask me about the Hugos cause, um, adventures in sci-fi publishing. They listened to the, they listened to our show, which is kind of cool. But one of the things that, you know, I was really, really sort of pushed, you know, really sort of disheartened me. And I doubt that this was the effect. Um, but uh, Connie Willis gave a speech. She she came in and because she had she had stepped down from doing the the uh, MC job um, back when the slates came out, and totally understandable from her perspective. She's a brilliant brilliant author, and um, you know there's another cornerstone of of the sci fi fantasy community. And we were sort of been talking about this concept of inclusion and what fiction deserves to be. You know, and, and this is, I, we haven't been talking about it as much, but some of the controversy about the Hugo Awards has been, you know, this idea of what fiction deserves to be recognized and, you know, who's the good, you know, what's the fiction people want to see and, and what deserves to be on the awards and what doesn't. And I just felt, so she ended up taking a crack shot at Twilight. Stephanie Meyer has no, you know, has, she, she's a, you know, cornerstone urban fantasy and YA author. Um, but you know, cause she's one of the most widely read, but she's not really part of, of the sci-fi community. And I, I just kind of felt like, I, I don't think the intention was to be, was to be, you know, exclusionary, but I kind of felt like, you know, if I was a 13 to 15 year old girl and, and say my family said, you know, we got to watch the Hugo Awards this year. And I saw somebody say, and I, I, I heard her say that I would have been so disheartened because the message I would have gotten from that at, you know, if I was, if I was a teenage girl who loved Twilight was that you're not welcome here, your fiction, the stuff you like, that's not the kind of fiction we're okay with. And I, I thought that was a little sad. I think she was just trying to make a joke in the community and she was just trying to have a bit of fun, but yeah, that that was the that was the only part of the award that that I watched that I was just like, oh, I, I why do we need to take a pot? You know, why do we need to cra- take a crack at, at Stephanie Meyer? You know, it's 
It's what did she do? Yeah. Well, and if you're going to take a crack, to your point, if we're going to take cracks at people, and there were plenty of cracks done for humorous effect, and I, and I felt actually that was one of the better par- overall. That was one of the better parts of the ceremony where people tr- were trying to lighten the mood a little bit mm-hmm. and, and trying to get people involved. So, you know, Robert Silverberg did uh, the Hare Krishna thing, trying to talk about a, another period and in, in fandom that was equally contentious uh, for different reasons, obviously, but still trying to lighten the mood and point to in the grand scheme of things mm-hmm. it's ultimately kind of you know this hunk of metal really what we're all concerned about here and you know it is an award ceremony and this is where I also differ from George because I knew we weren't going to win and it was a great moment and it was one of those things even before the ceremony you go through a walkthrough we went through a walkthrough and I held a Hugo rocket so, and it's not like my feet lifted off the air. Nothing changed about me, and nor if I had envisioned that we were going to be holding it later, would it change about me. So it's, it's one of those things. I don't care about some of those things, and George would say I'm lying, and that's George's prerogative. But, it, you know, you had, you had folks try to pro- provide moments of levity that, said, you know, while we're tr- while some of the discussion is really trying to make this about something bigger, the, the you know, the let's keep this all in perspective. Yeah. And and I thought overall, but I I agree with you because you don't want to disenfranchise a willing reader. Yeah. And some of those things are what I like to call kind of gateway drugs into genre. That's how I got I, you know, I got started reading genre off of reading Star Wars books and Dirk Pitt novels and, you know, the uh, Philip Pullman series, which at that point was really branded and marketed as YA. Mm-hmm. And that was my entree into deeper, headier science fiction. You know, reading the, the Golden Compass was my foray into saying there have to be more books like these. And the place for me to go to read some of those more thoughtful works were in genre. Absolutely. So, and they may not be the best sellers, but it may, you know, it may, and there was a lot of discussion of this at the after party. It's around what interests people. Yeah. And that can vary because each person, each person's itch is a little different. And so, you know, I want to find things that, that scratch that itch and those things sometimes are in genre and sometimes they're YA marketed as YA and some of some, sometimes it's popular fiction and literary, you know? Yeah. So yeah, that we shouldn't be, you know, if you're going to make a crack and make a crack more like a roast for somebody in the house. And a lot of that happened too. Yes. Yeah. Which, which is great. You know, that, that was just, we were sort of talking about, um, you know, our impressions from the awards. And I, I remember that, that and the asterisk thing. And I'm probably pronouncing that wrong too, but you know what? I want to, I'm going to say asterisks and that's just the end of it. Um, but, uh, you know, but that, that one speech by Connie Wallace, that was, that was the one point where I sort of went, oh, you know, I, and I, I agree. I think, you know, the rest of the awards went, um, you know, re- really went as well as, as they could have. And I, I think they really did do a good job of, um, you know, and it, it sort of as it came over on the stream of keeping things light, you know, and, and really trying to, 
you know, stay away from some of the controversy, which good on them, you know. It was, they did what they, the best they could with what they had. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, one of the things that you obviously didn't get a chance to participate in, and you were going to talk a little bit about why you weren't able to be there, which I think is, uh, is important because I know in your art you were there. Yes, I was watching it and I was tweeting. So this, so things you learn, I, you know, maybe, <laughs> one of these days I'm going to do, one of these days I'm going to do like a little article for the website where we're going to talk about it. It's going to be things that I've learned. Maybe we'll do this around New Year's or, you know, Christmas time. And we'll do things I've learned as a debut author in the last 12 months. In this case, in the last eight months. And um, the thing that that I've learned, you know, one of the things that you learn really quickly for anybody else out there who's, you know, um, is going to have a book coming out or starts doing promotion and starts doing tours is that you want to do everything. And when you're first starting out, you can do everything because, you know, every now and you know, it, it's few and far between when you'll get the chance to go to one of these conventions. And, um, originally my plan was to go to the Hugo Awards and that was, you know, this had months, months before I planned on doing the Hugo Awards. Um, then I got the chance to do When Words Collide in Calgary, um, which is a, a big convention in Canada. And I was sort of like, oh, well, you know, maybe, you know, so I had When Words Collide on the, uh, I think the second weekend of August. The third weekend was the Hugo Worlds, World, Worldcon. And then right after that, the following week was, um, was Penny Arcade in Seattle. And so I initially sort of look at that and you're like, that'll be easy. I'll, I'll just do all three of them. Uh, and then I did when words collide and, and that was a really great convention. Um, they, they, uh, they really went out of their way to get me on, um, you know, to, to do a lot of stuff and, and, and get all of the authors who came out on, on a lot of panels, which was fantastic. I got to be on panels with Faith Hunter, which, which was kind of amazing. And Patrick Weeks, which was awesome. Um, both of them were, were, you know, amazing, amazing panelists. Um, but, um, so I did that one and partway through, I started worrying. I'm like, oh man, I'd forgotten how much one of these conventions takes out of you. And so I got back home and, um, the other thing that happened, which, which was really cool. So then we were going to do Penny Arcade and that was already set in stone. We were doing Penny Arcade. And then I got a, um, to sort of complicate matters, um, I, I had two other things that started to go on, and um, uh, one of them, one of them was some uh, negotiations going on. So I will be announcing those. Uh, I can't say exactly what they are, but um, don't get yourself in trouble. I won't get myself in trouble, but um, <laughs> but I I was um, I, I had to be on the phone and an email contact um, that particular week. Um, probably next week the week after we'll be announcing them, but a couple of really cool stuff. But then on top of that, um, I got a call, um, New York city comic-con offered me a panel, uh, an urban fantasy panel in, um, for the beginning of October. So I slow, which is amazing. So that's, that's going to be an absolute blast. And I planned on doing New York city comic-con anyways, but out of all the, it was sort of, it was a culmination of multiple things where it was like, okay, not only it, it's no longer an issue of just what conventions do I want to go to, but it's a, I can't get sick because <laughs> I've got Penny Arcade coming up. 
B, I've got to have my phone on me because I'm in the middle of, of, um, of some business stuff. And then C, it was like, oh my God, my travel budget is just about shot at this point. So it, I, I don't know. So it was between that and the exhaustion, um, as much as it hurt business wise, Worldcon was the one I had to pull out of, um, because as, as fun as it would have been to go for the awards, that's what I was going for was to hang out with you and Tim and, and go to the Hugo awards. And I just, it got to the point where I was like, Oh man, I don't know if I can justify this anymore. So, um, so I, I, I made the business, the writer's business decision to, to pull out of Worldcon. And I'm glad I did because I think I would have been done for PAX. Um, I, I think I would have been sick by the time PAX came up. So, so I'm, I'm glad I made that decision. Uh, PAX was a lot of fun, tons of photos, um, got to talk to a lot of people, which was amazing, including the, uh, writers from the Witcher three. Oh, very cool. There. I've got a signed poster. Are you getting them on the show? I wish we, I'm going to ping them and see if we can get them on the show. I got them to sign my poster, but it was, um, they, they had a booth, the Witcher. So the Witcher three had its, had it had its own little sort of pavilion. That's where I had the photo of the, on, um, with me and my spouse on the unicorn. Um, you could, so there's a unicorn, a very famous unicorn in the video game. It's a stuffed unicorn that one of the characters, uh, trucks around with them wherever they go. And you can have a photo, um, on, on the unicorn and, um, they, they had people there. They were really awesome. They had people there, uh, who were more than happy to, to take photos, um, of you on the unicorn. Um, and they had props and stuff. And then the writers and some of the developers were there to, uh, with posters that they, that, uh, to sign. Um, and so you could chat with them for a bit. So I, um, so I got to chat with, um, with a couple of the, uh, one of the developers actually. And, it was fantastic. Just, you know, chatting about taking, um, taking a novel and putting it into turning it into a video game. And they did an entire panel on the challenges of that, which, um, which I missed getting into because I was there before I got there about five minutes before the, uh, the lineup filled up. So I was very heartbroken at that point. I just went and had a beer, but, but then I got my poster signed and got to chat with one of them. So that was awesome. Uh, but there was next to no lineup at the Witcher, which I don't think people realized that they were there like that. So, so that was amazing. Um, they, uh, yeah, no, super friendly bunch of gr- uh, group of people. And, um, that, that was one of my highlights for sure. Uh, I'm going to be framing the poster and, uh, Bioware was there. Of course they had, uh, they, they always have their own room and they had some fun games going on where you could uh, try and find the rift from you. They had rifts that were posted all throughout, uh, packs. And while you were wandering around packs, you could try and find the rifts and then you try and close the rifts. And so that was a blo- That was a load of fun too. So yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Very, very so. cool. Anyway, but that, but that was my reasoning behind it. I remember I chatted with you about it and it's, you know, I, it's what Chat, it, chatting yes. or grovel groveling. I was groveling. There was groveling. I think really there was serious, serious groveling. Um, <laughs> but there really was and, and deserve it. But, um, yeah, you know, and that's, it's one of these things, you know, as, as a writer, you start to realize that, you know, it's no longer just fun. There's also a business side to it and you have to be very careful with what you're doing with your time and your travel and your travel budget and just 
even just with, you know, you could easily fill up almost every single weekend of the year with conventions. Yeah. Um, and that's the other thing you start to realize too. So it's, it's one, one of those lessons I've, I've now learned. So, yeah. Yeah. When you walked me through that schedule, I was even just concerned about your mental health. (laughs) I I said, of course, this is the one you're going to opt out of because I mean, Worldcon, for what it is, is a little bit famous for having some peculiarities around scheduling the panels. Um, yeah. A little notorious or infamous for it. I mean, that's where the Drinks with Authors event was kind of created and born. I remember going to San Antonio, and you had folks like Scott Lynch not on a single panel at all, yeah. and he's kind of an icon and luminary of the current luminary of the field, and it's like, what are you, what are you guys doing? And I know they work really hard. You got, it's all volunteer. You all of these folks, it's all volunteer, but you have some misses, and so it made it made sense. Yeah. The one before we leave Sasquatch, the one last thing I want to leave leave people with is the losers party. So if you've read about the losers party at all about on you know George R. R. Martin's blog or or other places, there were really kind of two losers parties. So there, there's one where the host of the next Worldcon, so in this case, Kansas City's own Mid-American 2, they kind of escort you to the losers party. And the losers party started in this great independent bookstore in Spokane. So if you happen to go to Spokane... Washington at any point, you need to check out this bookstore. It's called Auntie's. It's Auntie's Bookstore, and it, it's really cool because I went back in there the next day after the Losers Party to actually browse books. Um, I was too busy chatting with some, making some new friends, including the events manager there, Jess, and we might have her on the show at some point. Uh, fabulous bookstore. It's been around since 1978. I was talking with Michael Underwood for a long time, and I'd been up 24 hours, too, so I, I packed it in at 4 a.m. my time. <laughs> I, was, I was done. I'm like, I'm too old to be up for 24 hours, but th- this bookstore is fabulous. And the next day I went in there, and they had like a bluegrass jam going on in this bookstore while I'm shopping for a book. I'm like, how awesome is this freaking place? And apparently they do it every weekend. So I bought a, I, I definitely made a purchase there and spent a little of my hard earned money there. But that place was awesome. The Mid-American 2 folks were great. Um, you know, it'd be a good transition for us to talk about that. But if you read about these losers parties, the, the lasting impression I'm still trying to figure out is, did I just miss George at the losers party? Cause he had his own private losers party and he mm-hmm. missed, he missed a lot of people. So the, the big, it started at Auntie's and then it kind of moved on to some mansion that, that George had rented out. And he said that people, he went to the losers party and was inviting people. I was upstairs, so I could have missed the invitation one or as he said, there were other people that were declared an asshole. That, that, that didn't get an invite. So I'm trying to figure out if we just missed him, we're in the asshole camp. So uh, I, I, <laughs> this went for PG-13, and if I say the word one more time, we're probably going R. But no, I, I we weren't on his radar at all, I assume. He, he, he actually said when he was uh, 
trying to handicap the awards he mentioned. He was like, I don't pay any attention to fan casts anyway. So yeah. I, I doubt we were even on his radar. But what I will say about the Losers Party is the Mid-American 2 folks were great. I'm not just, well, I might just be saying that because um, they're in my backyard. But no, they, and I, I know a lot of them from Conquest, they treated us very well. They treated everybody that was not a recipient of a Hugo very well. They brought in barbecue for everybody and had these cute little uh, kind of tchotchke items of tongs and barbecue mitts and some uh, barbecue rub to really get people in the spirit for Kansas City to eat hearty red meat when everybody comes here and uh, treated everybody very well, which was nice. And again, I obviously had a good time because I was ready to go to bed, but kept it going until uh, for at least 24 hours. But we should probably talk about Mid-American too, because that's going to be a topic of conversation for the next whole year. It is. Yeah. I am working on lining up some of the con runners. I've been working back and forth with the marketing person. And we will likely have a couple of the con runners on the show to talk about what we can expect from the awards, how they can anticipate handling probably an increased crowd, a number of voters. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because the other shoe that dropped just last week was Sad Puppies 4. And it it had a little bit different tone. You want to cover kind of the tone? And and who's who's running that business? It's Kate Paul, Sarah Hoyt. And is it uh, Amanda? Is it Amanda Green that's doing it too? The first two I know that's I know Sarah and and um, yeah and, and, and Kate definitely. Um, I think yeah I think I think Green is, is the other one in there. Yeah, and they're calling it like the ambitioning or something. It's like awesome. That. Yeah, the ambitioning. What a fun, sorry. I <laughs> I think it's such a fun name. It really it's it's. You know, it just, I, I got a laugh out of that. And I thank them for giving me such a great laugh out of seeing their, um, seeing their campaign. Sincerely, sincerely. Uh, the, anar- the anarchist in you. The anarchist. No, not even the anarchist. It's, they're different sides of fandom. I have no say. I have no stake in it. But I'm allowed to laugh. That, therefore, I'm allowed to laugh at both. Yeah, well, I'm allowed to be enjoy. I, I'm allowed to be entertained by both and not feel guilt over it. So there. It, so it, that's it, that's my stance. It's kind of like how I am. I you know I've been watching all the lead up to the elections, and there are certain candidates that I'm enjoying watching. I would never vote for said candidate, <laughs> but I'm enjoying watching just for the humorous effect. So, similar kind of thought, right? Similar, similar kind of thought, but, um, and, you know, and, and, uh, but it's, it's a different tone this year. Um, so first off, um, and I, I'm not as, I, I probably need to, we'll do a more in depth discussion about it later. I'm sure where I will do all in all my research, but so Sarah, so Sarah is one of, is one of the characters. I, I follow her on Facebook. Um, interestingly, she is going to be co-writing a new monster hunter international novel with Larry Correa from the perspective of one of the female characters, which is going to be really interesting. So that's a bit of an aside, but, um, so the, the sad puppies for the ambitioning, it looks, so they seem to have actually taken, if you, if you read Sarah, Sarah Hoyt's, um, post on it, uh, I believe it's on her website. 
they seem to have taken the uh, the criticism about the slates uh, to heart. And so they won't be doing uh, a full slate. They will be doing, um, you know, their own recommendations, but it won't. Uh, I'm not sure if they're going to be doing a fewer number, if they're going to be doing only three per category or if it's going to be more. But yeah, they've they've addressed that, which I, I think considering that was the biggest criticism that came out of the community was that they didn't like the whole full slate uh, or full slotted slates. Good, good on them. Yeah. The way I read that and rem- recall, and if somebody else has a different, uh, read differently, let us know. But I had read that they were going to be compiling lists. So it was going to be like a list of 10. So it would exceed hmm. the the number, you know, within kind of a category. And they would be compiling these lists and the list would be open to anyone. Mm-hmm. So they said, and then they were just going to post these lists of recommendations, like the top recommended items based on people contributing. And it mm-hmm. didn't have to have a certain ideology. It didn't have to have anything attached to it. It was just, who do you feel like is worthy of uh, a Hugo Award? And what their little mantra was more. Yeah. And the goal being, we just wanted. to, we want to have include as many voters in the process as possible. And so everything that was articulated was very similar to a lot of the reasoning. Well, at least a lot of the points, if not the reasoning, the points that Mary Robinette Kowal made when she was doing the voter drive, yes. the membership drive. Let's get as many. And again, Mary, you know, she was open to getting voters into the process. And, you know, she wasn't screening those voters for ideology. So the same thinking is what's being posited or offered here. Yeah. uh, Based on what I recall from, from the post. What's interesting, and it it reminds me, or I recall my discussion with Ferret Steinmetz as we were talking about this, the, it's going to be interesting from a couple different points through this process and we can watch this thing evolve is one, you know, is sad puppy such a tarnished brand? Should they have just shed the sad puppies brand with, you know, with the idea of adopting a new brand and still going forward with their mission of getting more voters in the process? Or does the brand at least have enough lightning rod equity that they didn't want to discard it? So what was, you know, some of the thinking there? I, I also wonder too, and this and this is because you know um, uh, a lot of we tend to um, you know we we have we have ties more to sort of the writing and and the fan community. I wonder if the Sad Puppies sort of brand, as, as you put it, um, maybe does have uh, credence or has uh, traction with people who tend to read more commercial fiction or more commercial. Uh, commercially targeted um, uh, fiction, but aren't necessarily involved in the in in the awards. Um, so, so that's another thing too that maybe maybe aren't as present or as vocal in the community as um, you know as as, as other groups are. Um, and you know, but do in fact buy a lot of science fiction, and um, you know, and 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 read a lot of science fiction. So I so I think that's. I, you know, I, I'm not willing to discount that because, um, you know, some of the authors who've been, who've been associated with, 
you know, the sad puppies are very commercially successful authors. Um, and their, their fans are, are still there. So, you know, um, I, I think that's another perspective to consider. The other aspect too, though, is that I'm very curious. So there, there was a lot of there, we, we've talked about this. There was name calling thrown on all sides. Um, and there were some really nice things said on both sides as well. And we're leaving rabid puppies out of it because rabid puppies is a totally different game. We're, well, it is, but it's not. So I, it, I'm, I'm going to come back to, I'm going to come back to rabid puppies because I want to come back to that thought. Okay. I mean, I so mean, we'll, yeah. So the, the one thing that I'm, I'm curious about is that some of the things that were thrown around about, about sad puppies is the idea of being misogynistic and being against women. Well, now it's three women who yeah. are, who are running it. I, you know, I, I think I'm going to be a bit disheartened if that gets thrown around to, oh, well, you know, they're just, they're, they're just, they're token, token women, because not, none of, you know, none of those authors strike me as women who are token anything, not from what I've, I've seen so far on, on social media from, from any of them. So I, it'll be very interesting. You were going to say about rap, about rabid puppies. And I, I don't disagree. I think that's an interesting point about all three of them being of the runners of sad puppies being women Mm -hmm. and some of the conscious decisions around what, so the list and also their objectives being more around getting more votes. They haven't talked about, again, they kind of moved away from this notion of ideology and around, you know, that everything has to be the science fiction of, of your, which was kind of a, which is which was a talking point of Brad through you know through Sad Puppies three they moved away from that and mm-hmm. where I want to bring in Rabbit Puppies is that I'm wondering if some of these decisions one is you know direct feedback about their own efforts but is it also efforts to distance themselves from Rabbit Puppies because Rabbit this past year was very much around I want you to nominate the slate and the slate only. Yeah. Right? Yes, absolutely. And there were all of these, I'm going to call them rumors. Uh, Others would argue with me and say, no, they could substantiate it, say it was much more than rumors. But there was this belief that there was collusion between, you know, very strategic collusion between rabid and sad in their efforts. Now, I, I'm not going to go so far as to say that. I don't know. I haven't looked at the numbers. I haven't, you know, I haven't, you and I have had this conversation. You and I yeah. can't look in the hearts of men and women to know. <laughs> uh, but I'm wondering if some of these decisions around the list are, are an effort to distance um, this effort from rabid puppies. And it'll be interest. The other thing I want to watch so there are you know, three things we're going to watch here. Um, the first two we've talked about, and you know, you'll be disheartened if there's a lot of this backlash um, from the three, is I'm waiting for Rabid Puppy's response. I want to see how they're going to respond next year. Yeah, I, I would be willing to, I, I'd be willing to hesitate, I, I guess to hesitantly guess from, from what I've seen of, of what Vox, Vox Day's, you know, um, his sort of platform He's, you know, he, he's, he's very much, he's proud of the fact that he's the most 
hated man in science fiction. He he's he said, you know, um, to interviewers before, I think it was for the Wired article. Yes. Um, they quoted him as saying, you know, if, if they didn't refer to him as the most hated man in science fiction, he was going to be disappointed. Um, and, and a lot of people now wonder if it's if there's maybe more of an act and a caricature in there. So I wonder if we're going to see more of the same thing. You know, uh, it'll be interesting to see if he comes up with something new and what that would be. Exactly. And how many minions, I mean, if it's a sheer numbers game, uh, we've seen the limits of some of those numbers. Yeah. And you even go back and while it was disheartening to look at the R numbers afterwards a little bit, (laughs) it was... You know, we again, we were a victim of some of the things that were the tug of war that was going on. And and you saw certain places where chips were being placed. And on some level, that was a relief. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and on, other, on, other, on other levels, you could see where the numbers, were, you know, where the chips were being played. Yeah. When the, when the final votes um, came out. So. Yeah. All right. So you and I have been chatting. Straight on for an hour. <gasps> yes. So we we probably, you and I, we can come back to PAX. And I know I also want to talk to you about New York Comic Con. But, uh, folks, we're, we're going to go ahead and sign off and get you into that interview with Nini Alto, a legitimate Hugo-nominated <laughs> artist. She was in, you she, had to put that in there. <laughs> legitimate. She... She was not on any slate. She was in the fan artist category, so go check out her work. You can still check us out, too. It was interesting because, you know, I mentioned last time, we had lots of people reach out to us and say, you know, and we had a lot of people support us that were completely ag- state agnostic of the whole thing. Uh, some of the folks, who are the folks out of Seattle? I remember reading their reviews. The Geeky Library? Yeah. Their blog? Excellent blog. People should check out. But I know they were one of the folks that just looked at everything based on merit and ended up putting us against, I think it was T and Jeopardy and, you know, just put us a notch on their ballot ahead of T and Jeopardy. So, you know, I want to thank the folks that are, you know, have supported us uh, through this whole mess and we're expecting more mess to come. It's going to be a mess hall (laughs) in 2015 and 2016. So, but anyway, we, we've, we've gone on and on about this, and we're going to get you into this uh, discussion with Nini Alto. So until next time, take care. Bye, guys. Hi, this is Gregory Plachey for Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing from Archipelagon in Maria Ham, Finland, and I'm speaking with Nina Alto, Hugo-nominated artist hello hello nina nini sorry (laughs) yeah how does it feel to be nominated for hugo i'm not sure if it really feels like anything but i think i have mostly been of course it's very flattering but i think i'm mostly been kind of grateful that i'm at the one category that's free of a puppy puppy gate thing i I can understand that this year has been quite a controversial year and to be associated with that good or bad uh, can be off-putting so uh your work uh, what is the title of it title of you have a webcomic do you not yeah a comics blog called sahkö 
which basically means uh, direct translation is electrical rabbit, but I, I guess the correct translation would be a mechanical rabbit since in Finnish it refers to that uh, rabbit that dogs chase when they are racing. You have also worked on a number of other projects, have you not? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm a graphic designer and uh, I do mostly illustrations and comics. I have lettered comics. I'm kind of doing whatever comes my way. And I'm also trying to work on some children's book projects. At the moment, the most important is a cosmology book for kids, which we are working on with my friend Suksurasanen, who is a cosmologist and obviously kind of responsible for getting the science right. Excellent. And when do you expect that to be finished? I have no idea. It's it's been on and off for several years since we don't actually have money for the project or mainly I don't have it, so I'll kind of have to work on it on my free time. At the moment, I'm trying to kind of pick it up and work more with that. <laughs> Excellent. Are you considering crowdfunding for this? Not at the moment. I I have understood that it can be quite complicated to arrange with all the bureaucracy, but I think when we'll be a bit farther along the way, I think we'll apply for some grant. Does the uh, Finnish literary and artistic community, do they provide a lot of grants for genre fiction and genre art such as yours? I really cannot say it can be hard to get grants and it can be a bit random, I think. But I'm really unable to say how much or how little there are. At the moment, I think there is going probably to be less grants than before. So it might be getting harder. Uh, this, of course, is because of the new conservative government in Finland. I think so, yes. But as I said, I don't know that much about the whole scene that I could say for certain. Okay. What are some of your other works that our listeners would be able to find and read? I think the easiest is the blog on the web. It's partly in Finnish, but I'm trying to translate as many comics as I can, at least a short English version. I think most of my other publications they are in Finnish so that would be only for Finnish speaking people. Okay, and what is the website of your blog? It's ninni.sarjakuvablogit.com. I'm sorry, but you're going to have to spell that for us. Yeah, it's n i n n i . s a r j a k u v a b l o g i t dot com <laughs> okay well we'll include that in the show notes to make it easy for everyone will you be attending this year's hugos i'm afraid not well we can't really afford to travel that far that's a shame aside from the cosmology children's book at the moment are you working on any other projects all the time in a way it's good and a bad thing that i get interested in many different kinds of things quite easily 
and I get excited and then I get into them and then it means that I have multiple different ideas and projects going on at any time and of course that makes it kind of hard to finish any of them so I, I would have to be able to pick just maybe two or at most three and work on them and try not to get distracted by all the other stuff so yes I do have other projects what inspires you Where do you draw your muse from for your art? I think that's, again, partly that I get interested in lots of stuff. But what first comes to mind is different things in nature, maybe. I enjoy all the weird animals that exist, and I really enjoy reading about them and their behavior. And often if I want, for example, try to design some weird-looking creature... I'll go and look uh, deep sea fish and other animals or possibly insect world, which are full of really strange <laughs> designs. Okay, excellent. And how would you describe the type of art that you do? That's a hard one. <laughs> I think it varies a lot. The fantastical or science fictional art is obviously mostly a hobby thing that I do on my free time. And otherwise, of course, if there are commissioned work, they are often more boring, <laughs> if, if I may say so. But that's kind of, of course, the paid work is kind of different thing. And then you do what the customer wants. So I guess you're probably more interested in that stuff that I can decide for myself. <laughs> Certainly. It's your personal art that has uh, gotten you this Hugo nomination. Mm -hmm. And it's nice to be able to do that kind of thing. I'm very lucky in a sense since my spouse is a photographer and he's able to pay our rent. And <laughs> so that kind of enables me to put my time for such work that doesn't actually pay, that I can do. Of course, occasionally someone wants to buy a piece or something like that, but basically the point is doing what I like to do and choosing my own subjects. It's great I can do that. Fantastic. And should someone want to commission you for a work, where can they contact you? Email is the best. I can be contacted at ninni.alto at gmail.com. Who are some of your favorite artists that inspire you? There are many. And of course, it also depends what I'm at certain moment, what I'm kind of looking for or How, how I'm feeling, but I have done some art history studies when I studied at university, and I guess that's part of why yesterday at the panel I mentioned Hieronymus Bosch, which is very interesting for many reasons, and I also enjoy lots of Renaissance art, but of course there's lots of current illustrators and artists and I really don't know if I'm at the moment able to name any specific maybe one one of my great favorites that you could actually call an 
idol in a sense is probably the comic artist Charles Burns. I kind of look up his very, very clean lines and also kind of surreal feeling in his work. Very cool. So you're here at Archipelagon and you've been on a number of panels. Which panels were those and what were you speaking about? If two two panels count as a number, but uh, yesterday I was in a panel that was about fantastical art, and tomorrow I'll be at the panel about sequential art, so basically comics. What are your thoughts on uh, sequential art, since you do do some with your webcomic? Is it a burgeoning art form? Is it growing? Is it something that is a viable source of income for artists? Considering income, it is really hard to say. I think it also depends on which country or you happen to live in. Finland it is such a small country that there are only only few people who can actually make a living doing comics and most people do something else on the side. But I guess in America and France, Belgium, where there are larger markets and such, uh, it's obviously easier. But usually it's also, most of the comics take take lots of work, so, so it doesn't necessarily pay very well. But So why do you draw a comic then? I have no idea. I'm, I'm probably just stupid that way. Uh, but uh, I, I have drawn since I was a kid, so I kind of blame my parents for, you know, supporting me on a thing that doesn't really make a living. But Art doesn't have to be practical. Uh, it can be therapeutic. It can simply be entertaining. So in your comic, uh, are you doing what they call a slice of life or are you just doing weird thoughts? Uh, what is your comic about? It's mostly, I guess, it's uh, a slice of life. It's kind of thing in Finland that people tend to blog about kind of the daily life. Of course, I also do some scripting. So all of them are not naturally as as is. I, I combine elements and even if many people can read them as if they were true happenings, but of course all of them are not. Many are. <laughs> okay. okay. How often do you add new comics to your blog? I'm trying to add something. There's also drawings sometimes, but at least once a week. Excellent. So other than Archipelagon this year, will you be at any other conventions? I'm not sure, but probably not. I'm really not sure at the moment, but... Okay. And then where can people find your artwork or publications that you've been a part of? Again, I must say web is the easiest, but you can buy the comics albums. And I'm not sure I have done one children's book but I'm not sure if it's available anymore since it was published in 2005. And the title of that was? Princess Saya Müller, which means Princess and Miller. We did it with a good friend of mine. And all the main characters are bunnies. <laughs> Excellent. And who is the publisher? Colibri. Excellent. And so are you on social media? I'm on Facebook, but not on Twitter or 
anything else. Well, well, I'm basically on G plus and LO, but I never use them. <laughs> okay. And your website, one more time, please. Ninni dot sarjakuvablogit dot com. Should I spell it again? No, it's okay. We'll put it in the show notes. All right. Well, thank you so much, Nini. Yeah, thank you. For Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing, this has been Gregory Pelagi from Archipelagon in Mariaham, Finland. Visit Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing for show notes, links, reviews, special guests, videos, and more. Email us at adventuresinsci-fi-publishing at gmail.com. Sound effects from the Free Sounds Project. Music by Asymmetry, found at musically.com. No authors were seriously damaged in the making of this podcast. 